0: Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author Phil Moser. Well, why don't you stand with me for the reading of the word this morning. We are in 1 John chapter 2, and I'm going to pick up the reading here at verse 7. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You may be seated. We uh, are in the book of 1 John, and one of the things about John is that he repeats, uh, he uses a lot of language that he repeats often. In fact, the words on the, on the pallet boards behind us communicate that. Uh, the word here, light, is actually used some six times in the Gospel of John. The word, uh, life, is used 13 times. Uh, the word that we capture here is learn, or might be known as truth in the Scriptures, is used some nine times. Now you say, Phil, why did you choose these words? Okay. Well, I could have chosen other words, deceit, deny, and antichrist, okay? Because those are used, too, multiple times. But I was thinking that might not set the mood for worship when you came in and saw that on the pallet boards. But here's the thing you need to know. The word that is used more than any other word in the first epistle of John in five chapters actually is used 46 times is the word love. That's pretty cool, isn't it? We think of Christ as light. We think of him as offering eternal life. We desire to learn to walk like him. But the one thing you have to know is that the word love is used 46 times. Now, that brings us to today's text, frankly, and here it is. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. Now, when you first hear what John is saying, you hear old commandment, and then he says, oh, but I am writing to you a new commandment. You might be tempted to say, which is it, an old commandment or a new commandment? And the truth of the matter is, it's both. But you really begin to understand something when you grasp the old commandment and the new commandment. So that's where we're heading at the first part of this, all right? In fact, it's an old commandment that we find actually back in Leviticus chapter 19. There in verse 17, we read, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of them. Now, I love the way the New Living Translation connects this. I'm going to go off on a tangent for just a second, okay? And I'll come back. I know it's early in the message. And dads are saying, hey, I got a barbecue this afternoon and stuff. Okay, I know it's early in the message, but let me go on a tangent because I want to show you something. Look at how the New Living Translation renders this. Do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives or for a brother, right? Confront people directly so you will not be held guilty for their sin. Pause and just realize the world in which we live says this. If you love someone, you let them be, right? That's not what this text is saying. This text, written 3,500 years ago, is saying, listen, if you hate someone in your heart, you would never confront them directly. You would just let them be. Okay. This, is, this is such an important concept. Now, when we do confront people, should we confront with grace? Absolutely. Should we confront with love? Absolutely. But confronting is a part of love. I just want you to see that in the text. If you never engage, if you say, it's not my business, it's not my business, right? And yet they are your brother or your sister in the Lord, and you just say, it's not my business, okay? You are not loving them. That's the point, right? Now, let me take you back to the text again and just notice how it ends. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I'll be honest, when I first started this study, I, I knew what... Jesus, what John is saying, he's saying, love your neighbor as yourself. I know that's the old commandment, but I didn't know it went all the way back here. I just was thinking of it in the Gospels. All of a sudden, it is clear back here. Now, let me show you how old this commandment is, right? Let me just give you a few things that kind of put it on a timeline for you. Um, The Mayan temples down in in, in South America and Mexico, those weren't actually created until 250 AD. So I'm going to work a timeline. Paper didn't come into being in China until 104 AD. I'm going back further. Confucius didn't start saying wise things until roughly 550 B.C. Um, The first Olympics took place in 776 B.C., and if you had been there in 1358 B.C., you would have been there for King Tut's birth and his funeral, right? Happened pretty because he was a young king. All of that isn't as old as this commandment. Just let this settle in. Because Moses recorded by the Lord this commandment, love your neighbors yourself in Leviticus in 1455 BC. This is an old commandment, It's been around for 3,500 years, You say, okay, it's an old commandment. Then why does John say it's a new commandment? That's a great question. At the same time, he says, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Now just pause for a second, understand. This new commandment, not just an old commandment, Something about this commandment is new, and it's true in him, that is in Christ, and it's true in you. Now, we'll come back there in a second. Let me show you why love is a new commandment. Love is a new commandment because of three things. His perfect example, your change, desire, and the ultimate sacrifice, okay? This is three reasons why this old commandment from 3,500 years ago is now a new commandment. His perfect example, your changed desire, the ultimate sacrifice. Let's look at that first one. His perfect example. You and I simply are to love as Jesus loved. You and I are to love as Jesus loved. That's what makes, that, it's his perfect example that allows us to say, oh, it's a new commandment. And I'm going to show you that. You may have never caught this before, but watch. This idea where John says in the little first epistle here, where he says, this is a new commandment, I wanna show you where he got that from. On the night that Christ was celebrating the Lord's table with his disciples, John, the writer of the first epistle, also wrote the Gospel of John, he suddenly shifts and moves from all of Christ's earthly ministry, he shifts in chapter 13, and from there till the end is the last hours of Christ's life, okay, and his resurrected interaction with people. That's all happening. So John spends nearly uh, seven chapters, eight chapters of his gospel talking about those last moments. And that's where we first see this new commandment. Look at it. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. Now watch the old commandment. You with me? I'm gonna show you the old commandment in Leviticus. Here it is. Um, But you shall love your neighbor. Say it with me. Do you see the change? That's the old commandment. Here's the new commandment. That you shall love one another just as I ever loved you. That's what makes it new. It's great to love somebody as yourself. Okay, That's a good first step. Okay, But that can only be so sacrificial. It can't actually be you giving up your life because you love yourself naturally. The only way you can be as sacrificial as the kind of love that God has is not for you to love others as yourself, but for you to love others as Christ loved you. That's what makes it a new commandment. In fact, um, Warren Wiersbe captures it that way when he writes of this verse. He says, in his life, in his teaching, and in his death... Jesus is the perfect example of this new commandment. Love one another. In Christ, we have a new illustration of the old truth that God is love, and that life of love is a life of joy and victory. I love that. It's not some kind of burdensome love. It's not some kind of, okay, I love you. It is rather there is joy and victory when we learn to love the way that Jesus loved. This is the new commandment. This is the new commandment. Now, that's his perfect example. You're to love as Jesus loved. That's what makes it new, but there's something else that makes it new. Okay, now, I'll even forewarn you. This is where you may begin to all of a sudden feel some of your excuses are being pulled away from you. Okay. If you've ever said, well, I could love that person, but they're not very easy to love. You know, actually, Pastor Phil, I really would like to love this person, but if you knew how much they'd hurt me, you know why I can't love them. Okay. I just want to tell you, this is the point. I'm giving you a fair warning where some of those excuses are going to be pulled away. And I'm not trying to do that emotionally to manipulate you. I'm just going to let the text do it, okay? So here we go. Your changed desire you love not by duty, but by joyful choice. Now, i got to give you a little bit of theology to help you understand this and to kind of push back at the world in which you're living and in which your kids are growing up. You love not by duty, but by joyful choice. Now, let me show you something else in that Old Commandment back in Leviticus 19. You shall not hate your brother. Finish it for me in your what? Hmm. Which means you can get it all right on the outside, but there still may be something working on the inside. You say, well, how do I fix what's going on in the inside? Well, the first way to fix what's going on in the inside is to realize how bad it is on the inside. Like imagine momentarily that you go to the doctor. The doctor says to you, um, listen, I hate to use the C word, but here it is. You have cancer, it's terminal, you have a few weeks to live. And you say, I don't feel bad. I must be okay. Okay. You first must understand how serious the issue is, and it's not tied to how you feel at the moment. It reveals that what is really going on. So we let the scriptures reveal to us what is actually going on in our heart, even though we may not feel that our heart is that bad. Here we go. Jeremiah 17. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Go back and look at this again. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You say, well, I don't think I hate my brother in my heart. Hold on. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? God goes on to say, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. You say, well, does God not know what's going on in my heart? Oh, yes, he knows what's going on in your heart. He searches and tests it so that you may know what's going on in your heart. And now you know why you suddenly struggle with anger when you're at home. Because God is revealing what's in your heart. You say, oh, no, 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 no. It's all the other people in my home. Okay. If I live by myself, I would never get angry. Okay. <laughs> Listen. All that's happening is it's revealing what's going on in your heart. I was watching a video this past week, and I kind of kept rewatching it. <clears throat> because it's a husband talking about the fact that um, he doesn't get angry Except when he's with his wife, okay? He says, for instance, I pull in a parking lot, I'm looking all over for a parking place. I find a parking place and my wife says, why are you parking here? And he says, all of a sudden, I just have a total meltdown. What do you mean, why am I parking here? What's wrong with this parking place? I don't know. What's wrong with this parking place? And the husband says, I go off. And my wife says, you got anger problems. And he says, no, you you are the problem. I never park in the parking lot and say, why am I parking here? Okay, I can't tell if it's the wives that were laughing or the husbands that were laughing. I'm guessing it's the wives that were laughing and the husbands were saying, I'm not laughing at that (laughs) joke, okay? Here's the point. All that happens in our relationships is God reveals what's going on in our heart. Okay, We cannot say it's somebody else's responsibility. It's not their fault. Because you and I, watch this, we're given a new heart. In Christ. The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who shall know it? Now, I want to take you back for just a moment to last week's theologian that I introduced you to, Susie Homaker. Okay. Susie Homaker said it this way The gospel sounds very strange to a generation that has been told they are perfect, loving themselves as virtuous. Finish this for me. And what? Oh. When our world says, just follow your heart. It's it's what you desire. That's how you get happy. They have totally misunderstood what the scripture is saying about the nature of the heart. That is that the heart is deceitfully wicked, meaning it is not only wicked, but it's deceitful. It will make you think it's right, even though it isn't right. that's why God said in Ezekiel 36, And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the old heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is the passage, by the way, that Jesus is referring to when he says to Nicodemus, unless you're born of water and of spirit, you you, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus in John chapter three says, how can I be born again? And Jesus says, unless you're born of water and spirit. Because this passage goes on to say, God said, I will put within you a new heart, and I will wash you with clean water. It's the only place in the Bible where the context of what's going on with Nicodemus being born again is, is brought to play. I will give you a new heart, God said, and I will put a new heart, and I will put, take that, stone, that heart of stone out, and I will put in a heart of flesh. God has given you a new heart when you come to faith in Christ. This is such an important element which is why you can no longer say it's everybody else's problem. I'd love them if they were more lovable. Nope. You and I have the ability within us through Christ as a Christian to actually love the most unlovable person because Christ did that, didn't he? In fact, just notice how Titus wrestles with this. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Sounds just like First John. Uh, you cannot hate your brother. after you place your faith in Christ than it was before. And so you can now love, not by duty, but by joyful choice. Notice this again. John said in 1 John 2, verse 8, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him. This is how Christ loved, and it's true in you. Because Christ now indwells you, you have the ability, you have the power to choose to joyfully love the most unlovable person on the planet. It's not about you. It's not about you saying, I can't, I can't. Oh, no, you won't. That's what it's about. Because the Bible teaches that you got a new heart. You have a new heart. In fact, notice this, will you? To them God chose to make known the great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, your hope of glory. Christ is dwelling in you, so you have all that power. You say, well, then I just got to sit back and it's not going to be a problem, right? Oh, you got to read the rest of this, right? In him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now look at this, verse 29. For this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. You see the connection? We have to labor at it. It's the process of sanctification. But God has given us the power through Christ to do it, which is why you don't wait on feelings to say, I just I, I haven't felt joy for that person yet, so I can't love them right. I, they, they argue with me, so I get upset with them. No, no, no. You can't wait on those emotions to come. You have to say, Christ has given me the ability to do this because he's powerfully working in me, and I will labor, and I will toil, and I will struggle with all of his energy, not mine, to love with joy and not out of duty and obligation. Now... There's a lot going on here, so just know that part of the struggle isn't only that we would love well, but part of the struggle is how we want to be loved. You and I want to be loved because we did something well, or because we were respected, or because we were honored, or because we were really good at something. Again, that's the way our world is looking at it. That's not the way God looks at it. God loved us when we were his enemies, Romans chapter 5. There was nothing in us worthy of love, and yet God, with his great love, loved us. Watch. You become a Christian. Christ is dwelling in you. Now you can love anyone in any situation because you have that same ability to love, because Christ is powerfully working in you. And we find that back in 1 John in this little text. Because the darkness is passing away, the text says, and the true light is already shining. Now, uh, when I was studying this week, I kept coming back to, okay, what is the true light that is shining? What is the true light that is shining? And it occurred to me that I had to go back. I, I was thinking of another place in the Bible where it talked about that. So take your Bibles and go with me. It's not on the screen. So go with me to John chapter eight for a moment. John chapter eight. Remember, John wrote the gospel of John. He also wrote the little epistle of John. But look with me at what's going on in John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. That sounds kind of like what's going on over here. The darkness is passing away and the light is already shining. But we'll have the light of life. Now just for a moment, understand this. When Jesus refers to himself as the light, he is saying, listen, you must believe that I truly am who I claim to be. I am the son of God. I am the one who brings the light. So this light that is already shining in 1 John chapter 2 is you and I coming to grips with the truth that Christ is who he claimed to be this is so important this is where we understand that our power comes from in our heart because I I can't say I don't have the ability to when Christ who is the true and living God actually is indwelling me okay the light is already shining in fact, when you begin to read the rest of John chapter 8, you see that the religious leaders immediately begin to deny Jesus. They, they say things like, oh, he doesn't know he's talking about. He, he can't possibly be God. Oh, he, he's blaspheming. In fact, they, they would do everything they could literally to take his life clear back here, except God has more that has to happen for Jesus in, before he's crucified. So all of that happens later. But here's the point. Jesus says, I'm in the light. And the people say, no, he's not. Okay. We don't believe this truth about him to be true he isn't who he claims to be in fact there's a really fascinating element here in John chapter 9 which follows that's where the man born blind right the man born blind suddenly is healed by Jesus and can see and, and he is like just going off the charts just praising God he's telling everybody like I can see okay. now just fathom what that's like you spent your entire life in darkness and all of a sudden your eyelids open and you see things This is that man. And the religious leaders say, wait a minute, who who, who healed you? What what day did he heal you on? Like, they ask all these stupid questions, right? As opposed to just say, praise God, you were healed. This is because they choose darkness rather than light. Jesus was the one who healed him. And the man says, "Um, listen, I I don't even know who healed me because I was blind until he healed me. But now I see. They can't argue with it. So they go to the, the parents, and they say to the parents in John chapter 9, is this your son? Yeah, that's our son. Um, was he blind at birth? See, they're trying to chase out a reason to say it couldn't possibly have happened because we don't want to follow Jesus, who is the true light. And in that process, all of a sudden, the parents say, uh, we don't know. And the text actually says they're frightened by the religious leaders. So they say, yes, he is our son. Yes, he was born blind. How he gained his sight, we don't know. Ask him. Okay, that's a bad position to be as parents right? they should have been rejoicing with an adult child who could now see okay? but they were afraid of the people and the religious leaders actually cast this man out of the synagogue but before they do that just let me read to you this one verse in chapter 9 verse 30 in fact let me back up in chapter 9 verse 24 and I just want you to see how stubborn that darkness is for us They say, for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner, referring to Jesus, right? He answered, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you. Notice they're not arguing about the reality of the miracle. And he answered, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why? Do you want to hear it again? Just a little bit of sarcasm there, okay? Do you also want to become his disciples? A lot of sarcasm there. Okay, And they reviled him saying, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, that is Jesus, we do not know where he comes from. Now listen to verse 30. And the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. How can you miss this light? He says, it is so evident that this man came from God. In fact, uh, uh, what, uh, Doug Bookman says of this verse, he says, What the man is saying is, I used to think the most amazing thing in the world was my sight. But I'll show you something even more amazing, he says to the religious leaders your blindness. Right? I used to think it was amazing that I could see, but you are refusing to accept the light that is shining in the darkness. Now, this is important. Because before you say, well, that's not me. That's not me. I got my eyes wide open. I believe in Jesus. You just have to know what's coming next. Here it is. Look. Look at verse chapter 2, verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. And the way we want to capture that is with this phrase. If you don't love others but claim to know Jesus, you're not who you think you are. Okay. If you don't love others... But claim to know Jesus, you're not who you think you are. You're lost in the darkness, still. And I'm not saying it isn't hard to love others. I'm not saying, but I'm saying we labor at it because we have a new heart, a new desire that's burning within us, and so we can love others differently. If you don't love others but claim to know Jesus, you're not who you think you are. And we know that because here it is. Notice again the text. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. I have a good friend who uh, is legally blind and one day I picked him up at his house and we, we stepped into the garage and he said, we'll, we'll go out through the garage door and, and his garage didn't have any windows and he shut the door and I'm in the garage with him and we're gonna go, he's gonna hit the garage door and he's walking through the garage, it's pitch black in there. And I remember saying, Michael? He said, yeah, what's wrong? I said, it's dark in here. Okay. And he said, oh, that's right, Phil, I forgot. You're sighted. Okay. (laughs) I'm in a dark garage. Okay, I'm about to trip over a gas can and burn their house down, all right? I don't know where I am, but I do know this. I know I'm in the darkness, Imagine if I kind of bluffed it. I would have banged my shins, tripped over, run into the lawnmower. I don't know what would have happened, Right? The point is this, that I knew I was in the darkness. This is the problem with most of us. We might be in the darkness, but we don't think we are. I just want to remind you this. If you don't love others, but claim to know Jesus, you're not who you think you are. The scripture says you're either in the light or you're in the darkness. That's why it says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Here's the second idea. If you learn to love others, notice it's a learning process, okay? So we're granting some grace in that, that it, 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 it's a process, okay? If you learn to love others, even when they're hard to love, you are most like Jesus, right? If you learn to love others, even when they are hard to love, you are most like Jesus, This is why I said early on, we mess this up in two ways. One is we think we have to feel love to love with joy. But the other thing is we want to be loved because of what we've done. That's not how biblical love works. Biblical love works that we love someone in spite of who they are, not because of who they are. In fact, um, notice it in the text, chapter 2, verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. I love this. We don't know whether it's referring to causing the brother to stumble or whether it's causing you to stumble, um, but here's the point, that when you and I love well, we will not stumble in demonstrating that to another person. We're about to go on a family retreat next, uh, next week with uh, my side of the family, and I have an aunt who at at Kim's shower, wedding shower, um, years and years ago, gave a little devotional, and I've never forgotten what she said. She said this of me, her nephew, okay, of all things, okay? She said, Kim, here's what I want you to remember. We like someone because of, but we love them in spite of. That's how biblical love works. We tend to think, well, I like them, and then maybe one day i love them. That's not how it works. Most people enter into their marriage thinking, I like them a lot, and I love them, and then I'm really going to learn to love them. Listen, if you want to love the way the Bible loves, then you've got to expect that they're going to do things that you don't like, so that you can demonstrate love in spite of who they are. That's the way that biblical love works. And some of you are saying, yeah, I'm just trying to be hard to get along with at my house so that everybody will love me well. Okay, that's not how it works, right? Here's how it works. That when someone does something that offends, that hurts, is painful, we choose to love. You say, wait, wait, wait a minute. What does that speak to those who are abused in a family or in a relationship? That's not the same thing. Because true love would have them say, in grace and truth, this is wrong. And if you continue in what is wrong, I will go to the authorities that God has granted to me to go to because this is wrong. But it would also confront the person like Leviticus 19 said as opposed to just step back and say it isn't happening what I'm telling you is that you and I in loving others well love them in spite of who they are not because of who they are on this Father's Day I just remember Kim loves me in spite of who I am I'm prone to self-pity I'm prone to anxiety at times, even anger flares up. All of those things, she still loves me, right? She doesn't say, I'm not going to love you anymore. We like someone because of, but we love them in spite of. If you learn to love others, even when they're hard to love, you're most like Jesus. That's why I said, this is where it kind of peels the skin back a little bit. You cannot say, I would love them if they were more lovable. That's, that's how the world thinks of love. That's not how the Bible thinks of love. That's not how God thinks of love. And aren't you glad that's not how God thinks of love? He loved us when we were his enemies, not when we were his friends. Finally, one last one. If you don't love others, you are willfully refusing to follow Jesus' example. If you don't love others, you are willfully refusing to follow Jesus' example. That's right. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going. I want you to see that there is not a passiveness, I'm in the darkness and I'm just stumbling around. He is walking in the darkness. He is refusing to come into the light. That's why we say, if you don't love others, you are willfully refusing to follow Jesus' example. Who loved others in spite of what they did to him? If you don't love others, you're willfully refusing to follow Jesus' example. I love the way that one commentator captured it. He said, spiritual darkness is not a passive reality. It goes on the offensive. Darkness attacks those living in it so that they become increasingly trapped in this realm of confusion and blindness. In a real sense, what we do is what we become. How we live is who we are. He goes on to say, the longer one remains in this realm of darkness, the more difficult it becomes to see the sin that is in one's life, and the less likely one is to see his need to confess his sins so that fellowship with God can be restored. Habitual hatred leads to more hatred, and the possibility of loving becomes less and less likely. Whoa. Okay. He didn't say, well, I did. That's amazing. That when you say, I can't help it, this is how I feel about this person, and you feed that and feed that and feed that, it is less likely that you'll ever move to loving them well. You say, well, Phil, how am I going to move to loving them well? I love this. Go back with me to 1 John one more time. I have four verses left, and I'm just going to read them, and I think you'll see how, if you understand the first three verses right, you understand everything that follows. 1 John chapter 2, looking at verse 12. Oh, I got one more thing to cover, sorry. I told you it was the end, and it's not quite the end. Here we go, okay? There is an ultimate sacrifice as well. Others' needs ahead of your wants. That's right. This is how Jesus loved. This is how we should love. Others' needs ahead of your wants. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. There we read, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Remember, we're to love that sacrificially. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. There it is, okay? It is the ultimate sacrifice that we would place others' needs ahead of what we want. That's what Jesus is doing in the garden. Not my will, but yours be done. I really don't want to go the way of the cross, Father. But God says, yes, that's the way you should go. And Jesus says, okay, these people need me. That's ahead of what I want, okay? Others' needs ahead of your wants. Uh, we'll come back to that when we get to First John chapter 3. Just look with me again at 1 John chapter two, verse 12, and just apply what we've just learned. Here it comes. John says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. You wanna love others well? Even those that are hard to love? You've gotta pause and remember that Christ loved you when you were unlovable. How about this? I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who was from the beginning. You cannot love others well without knowing Jesus well. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, John chapter 1. Jesus is the one who was from the beginning. John says, I'm writing to you fathers, because you know him who was from the beginning. You know Jesus well, so therefore you can love well. I'm writing to you. He goes on to say verse 13. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Nothing quite overcomes the evil one, like the knowledge of the Father through Jesus that we would love others well. How about this? I'm writing to you children, verse 13, because you know the Father. There it is again. There it is. The only way you and I can know the Father is through Jesus who loved us. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. You want to overcome the evil one? then through the power of Christ, love others well. Here it is, today's takeaway. Don't claim to live by Jesus' power if you refuse to love those who are hard to love. Don't claim to live by Jesus' power if you refuse to love those who are hard to love. It's just one statement. You and I need to find ways to joyfully serve and love those who are hard to love. And if God stirs that up, all of a sudden there's just a window where someone's angry or someone's upset or someone, someone is silent with you, whatever it might be. Love them well and love them with joy. Okay. Don't pat yourself on the back if you just love them out of duty. I think it's John Piper who said, can you imagine? It's my anniversary. I show up at the door with flowers and my wife answers the door and I say, here they are. Okay. It's our anniversary. Here's your flowers. Okay. And she says, what are we going to do? Well, let's go out to eat. I've got to take you out to eat. Okay. Everything about that feels wrong, doesn't it? But a husband who comes to the door and says, here's your flowers, I was thinking of you. I chose these flowers because I was thinking of you. Right? Hey, when we got to eat, we want to go to the place that makes you happy. I want to take you where you want to go. That is love that is serving with joy. Jesus, it is said of Jesus that who for the joy that was before him entered the cross, Hebrews chapter 12. He saw the cross, he went the way of the cross, he took on the cross, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Jesus loved you and me out of joy because internally he is love. Don't claim to live by Jesus' power if you refuse to love those who are hard to love. Father, it's been a privilege to look to your word this morning. We are grateful for what it means to us, the chance just to pause and and be convicted by the fact that we're prone to love like our world loves and not really like you loved us. Forgive us for that. Help us realize that we have an incredible privilege to be a light that is shining in the darkness if in this world we love the way that you loved us. Help us find a way to do that, to speak truth, but to speak it with grace, to not be rattled when others attack, when others say things, but rather just to look for ways to love the way that you loved us, to forgive others the way that you forgave us, to seek to do it with great joy, because we know what it's like to be forgiven when we've sinned. We know what it's like to be loved when we're unlovable. We know what it's like to be pursued with great joy when we're lost. Help us love others well. In Jesus' name, amen. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible Mullica Hill.